The biggest issue that I see facing modern couples is that they are sacrificing their intimate connections to be able to be productive and efficient in the rest of their lives. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Get Clear with Crystal Ware. Today, I am beyond excited that Dr. Viviana Coles is joining us. You know, we talk so much about happiness and life and love and career And love is a big part of that as well. What we have going on at our house, at our relationships, uh, our interpersonal relationships, all of that is so vital to our happiness and our well-being and then our ability to perform in our jobs and everything else that we're doing. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Viviana Coles here with us. She is the president and lead psychotherapist at her private practice here in Houston, where you guys know I also live. She is also the president of the National Sex Therapy Institute. She holds a bachelor's in psychology and master's and doctoral degrees. So that is why she is a true and real doctor for you guys. Uh, Since 2003, she has worked exclusively with couples and and individuals experiencing emotional and physical intimacy issues and built up her practice around all of that. So she has deep, deep, deep experience to share with us. But what is also really exciting is that she has been featured as a marriage and intimacy expert on seasons 9 through 14 of the hit show Married at First Sight. If you guys haven't seen that, it's very interesting. So check it out. And she does a great job. So today she's bringing all of that for us and all the questions that you guys have about how to have a thriving relationship and intimacy with your partner. So welcome to the show, Dr. Viviana. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. Another local H-Town girl. This is so exciting to get to get to talk to somebody else who really understands what it's like to be in a big, small city. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. It's, it, everybody it's knows exactly everybody. right. <laughs> and I know you're also local. So it's really interesting um, because I, I mean, Houston has really grown up around us. I mean, it's always been a big city, but it has just exploded in the last 20 oh years. Gosh. It's just Tell crazy. Me. So I have my private practice, Houston Relationship Therapy, and it's always been based out of the Heights. And the Heights has changed so much in the past 20 years, just in the past five years. Um, but yeah, I, I love Houston. I am like, I'm such a fan. I can't imagine moving anywhere else. And you know what's funny is people will stop me when I'm out and about and they'll be like, I didn't know you were in Houston. I guess they all assume if you're on TV, you live in LA. No, I'm in Houston. I, this is it. My whole family's here. My husband's from here. His whole family's here. So yeah, we're staying. Yeah, that's, I talk about that all the time because I love the mountains and I love being outdoors. And you know, you know, like June 
through September are not that great for outdoors experiences. No, and I keep telling inside. myself that. That's it. Yeah. We just stay inside. <laughs> we need I mean, come our on. fans and air conditioning. That's what you got to live by. It's like with, you know, if it's the opposite, right? So it will be inside in the summer and everybody else who has those beautiful mountains has to be inside during the winter. It's just a trade-off. <laughs> exactly. But it is a great place to live and work Um, and I just, yeah, I couldn't imagine my whole family's here too. I couldn't imagine. So I want to start because I have so many questions for you to get today. And I know we don't have, you know, endless amounts of time. Um, how did you get into therapy and what, you know, kind of drove you, uh, to want to work in this field? You know, it was a pretty straight line for me. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've always been very driven, uh, Sometimes I get blinders on and I just go, but what happened is in my junior year of high school, I was speaking to the college advisor and she asked me, okay, what are you going to study? And I said, I have no idea. She's like, well, what do you like to do? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, no, you really like, you have to tell me, you have to help me with this. Right. And I said, well, I love to talk. And she's like, I know I've seen your report cards. It's always, (laughs) (laughs) you love to talk. And I said, um, I said, I'd love to talk, but that's, I mean, I don't know. She goes, what do you like to talk about? I said, oh, I love to talk to my friends. They're always calling me. I was one of the few people with like a steady boyfriend at the time. So they're always asking me about, you know, relationship stuff. And they tell me about their issues with their families. And I said, but that's not a job. She's like, yes, it is. That is a job. Take Psych 101 and Sociology 101 as soon as you get to school and see what happens. And I was hooked. My first psych class, I was just like, this is so fascinating. And then from then on, um, I actually went really quickly through college. I was very fortunate. I, I took like 18 to 24 hours per semester because I knew I still had so much more schooling to do. I knew I was going to get my master's um, in my family. It was like, and it was known that you had to get your doctorate. If you were going to go for something, you'd go for as high as you can. And I, I, was all in on that. So I just, I finished college in three years at uh, Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin. And then I went straight to Fort Lauderdale and did uh, my master's in marriage and family therapy and my doctorate in marriage and family therapy. And I moved back here as soon as I could um, because I had finished all of my doctoral classes, but I still needed to do my project. And that was something I could do remotely. When I was in Fort Lauderdale, I had some extra time. I did have like a part-time job and I actually had like three or four internships. I guess I'm starting to realize as I talk this out, I was very busy. I've always been very busy, uh, but I love it. And when you're doing what you love, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like work. So I got my certification as a sex therapist on the side while I was getting my master's. And I didn't know that it was going to become such a big part of my professional identity. But as soon as I moved back to Houston and I put it on my business card, everyone was lining up to see me. And that would have been amazing, except I was like seven months pregnant (laughs) with our first. And so I, I ended up very quickly taking on my first intern. Um, and I just, from then on, it was like, I'm bringing in on another associate and another one. And then Houston relationship therapy just kept growing and growing. And we became known for couples and sex therapy. That's what we do to this day. 
anything having to do with relationships and sex and intimacy, that's what we focus on. Wow. Well, I've got to jump in there and say, first of all, 18 to 24 hours at a time. I mean, I I thought I was a go-getter. I graduated um, in undergrad in three and a half years and I could never have imagined 24 hours at one time. So power to yeah. you. I, I'm, I'm a morning person. So I was taking those classes all day long from eight o'clock in the morning on. And, um, and the truth is I did sacrifice the, the, you know, quintessential college experience because for me, college was actually college. And, um, I, I, I wouldn't change a thing, honestly, but doing it in three years, you are going to miss out on something. Um, but I have definitely made up for it since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so it's all about balance. I mean, that's what I talk to people about pretty regularly is it's it's about balance. I mean, and we talk to our kids about this now is like discipline equals freedom. I mean, why did I go to law school? Um, mm-hmm. Because I was sitting there studying at my kitchen table when other people were out. Not, I didn't miss out on all the going out, but yeah, I, know, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I was just... too close to Austin to really miss out on all of it, but yes. I was able to stay away when I needed to. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There is this sense of if you are disciplined now, I just remember making that beeline straight towards graduation changed everything for me. I was able to move back home earlier than maybe others would have. I remember thinking, as soon as I get back home, I'm able to open up a practice. And because I have my doctorate, I'm able to charge more. I'm People automatically know that I have more expertise. And I do remember thinking, even if I hadn't already planned that I was going to get my doctorate, I remember graduating from my master's and thinking, how do people feel competent enough at this phase, which is the terminal degree for psychotherapy, to open up their own practice. So I'm really glad that I did get my doctoral degree. I feel like that really catapulted me into a different place with my confidence. And that has really uh, saved me from a lot of, I think, trials and tribulations as a new entrepreneur. Yeah. So we're going to go where the conversation is leading us and that, I mean, we'll get back on track. I always have to say, oh, I've got all my notes here and we've got to get to these questions, but sometimes it's best to go naturally. And so this is unscripted. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And that makes me wonder knowing that you have kids of your own. So if you had to choose for them, obviously we should not and cannot do that. But if you had to choose for them, would you want them to experience more freedom, you know, Peace Corps or a year abroad or anything else mixed in there? Or if you, if they ask you, mom, what should I do? Would you prefer that they powered through like you did? So let me go back. You said we can't choose for them. I am absolutely trying to groom my kids. <laughs> well, yes, Jedi mind trick them. <laughs> 100 percent love for somebody to take over our businesses and like yes please so no I, and they they've already told me like no I don't know that I'll do that and I, I don't lose hope um I would say I'm just one of those people who says there's so much time for like the fun just stay on course while you can because once you fall in love once you have children if you decide to once you have a job that possibly gives you those golden handcuffs, your, your opportunities to, to really focus on just one thing and 
I don't know. I guess, I mean, there's, there's pluses and minus to, to each one, but I would say stay focused while you're in school, because if you leave, and this is just what I've noticed with so many people that I've known is once you leave school, it's very hard to go back. Mm-hmm. So now I will say, I think I do have one regret from school and that's that I did not do a semester abroad. Um, I would have loved to do that. I actually was in a really you know, long-term committed relationship at the time and didn't feel like I wanted to do that. And of course I had so many school credits that I could be taking instead. So I rationalized it that way, but I would love for my kids to do a study abroad program. Um, I think that would just be such an enriching thing for them. But other than that, I would say, no, stay with your, you know, like if you're, when you're in school, stay focused. um, And then you can really shape yourself in a more social way after school. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, you know, there are so many avenues and things that you can do. And I do think there is also a benefit to getting out into the workforce, having some income and then having the ability, and especially with where you went with things right away as an entrepreneur and starting your own practice. I mean, you you just have... Um, the ability to tailor your schedule to what works for you, to take two weeks off if you want to. And these are the kind of questions, Dr. V, that we need um, either parents, ourselves, or um, the guidance counselors to be asking, right? Because the kind of job that you choose, um, while obviously you're not locked into it for life, but it does kind of usher in the kind of lifestyle that you could have. And nobody was certainly having the conversation with me or talking about if you're a nurse practitioner or a nurse at a hospital, you can work three 12-hour shifts, which is great if you want to be a mom and all the other kind of things around that. Um, so I think it's really interesting uh, for people to hear and see and why I like to bring on uh, people with all different backgrounds and all different kind of careers so people can see the opportunities that really exist that are out there. So you, my parents were actually really great examples of uh, kind of different sides of the spectrum. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and she ran the household. And my dad was, you know, had multiple businesses. He's a chiropractor. He owns radio stations. He owns real estate. He's always had multiple sources of income. And for him, the reason he wanted me and really encouraged me to get my doctorate and to start my own practice was because he felt like, you know, flexibility and being the owner of your time are so valuable. And I remember thinking, well, I want to go into private practice because I know I want to have a family and I know I want to be available for them. Now I realize it wasn't just to be available for my family, but it was to be able to handle, to be a psychotherapist full-time. A lot of us experience burnout. And fortunately, not having, uh, not working for another practice or a clinic or an agency has afforded me the ability to have done this now for 20 years and not experience burnout because I get to say day in and day out, nope, block off those two hours. Nope, block off this. I'm going to go have lunch. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to stay home. And that's not something that everybody gets to do. So I'm, I'm glad that even though I didn't know why that I chose it for that reason. So in school, do they talk to you guys about that, about the burnout factor and the kind of like bringing on of other people's problems and how that can impact you? 
Absolutely. And they highly encourage us to get our own therapy while we're studying to become therapists. Um, I, it's important to know what the experience is like from both sides of the couch, so to say. Um, but they don't ever really, well, maybe things have changed now, but uh, from what I've heard, not so much. They don't ever really talk about the business side of things. They, mm -hmm. I, they kind of just assume people will figure that out on their own. I, I imagine that's, you could take a business course, right? But um, that is probably the most stressful part about being a therapist is that you're juggling the business side of being a therapist, the business side of being in other people's business, right? Mm -hmm. And that that's really, um, that's the most stressful part because I know for me, I learned boundaries very early on. I learned how to make sure that I wasn't getting sucked in um, into my clients' lives and you know the hour is up and I'd have to be present for the next person. So I had to quickly shift over. Uh, it's not the easiest thing, but I can tell you, that's something I've never really had problems with. I can count uh, you know, on it, maybe one hand, how many times I have felt like, oh my gosh, I need, I need like 10 more minutes between sessions because I'm not ready to take on the next one. Over time, you get very used to like, okay, this person deserves all of me, so I need to get it together very quickly to transfer over to my next session. And that is one of the reasons that we do 50 minute sessions is so that we can mm -hmm. have time to decompress so that we can be available really emotionally and physically for the next person. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it is something that they teach, but it's not something that they dwell on. Uh, but there are lots of resources for therapists to be able to really focus on, on their own mental health while they're helping others. Absolutely. Well, and that's, it's, it's, you know, it's the same that women, in general, have a hard time taking that time away, take making the space for themselves, caring for yourself. Um, and, you know, why do the airlines tell you, put your oxygen mask on first because you're just not going to be there for everybody. And of course, it's all over. There's articles about it. There's, you know, you can go to therapists, <laughs> workshops and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think you can talk about it too much because I really see... So many people in my daily life, my friends, my family, other people nearby, not doing it. And it's just not selfish. It's not. It, you, you have to do that to make sure that you're capable, strong, you know, on it for everybody else. And the actual, the themes and the types of issues that you're working with as a therapist can also drastically impact the way that you feel about your life at the end of the day. Um, fortunately, so far, uh, the experience has been that I'm able to really be grateful for what my clients are sharing with me. And if I ever do bring it home, it's to then tell my husband how grateful I am that he does things differently. <laughs> I mean, just to be very honest with you, yeah. there are times where I get into the car after a long day and I'm like, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being you. Um, I'm really hungry, please, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but it is to, to let him know like, wow, gosh, things could be so much worse because people do mistreat each other so badly. And, um, to, so it, it, in what I'm trying to say is the subject matter that I'm seeing with couples is actually promoting health in my life. And whereas I think that there are some people 
in the therapy field that are dealing with issues and dilemmas that are so have such a deep impact in their in their own lives that then they can bring that home and it creates depression or at least depressive feelings at home. And um, I'm very fortunate that I just love my clientele. I love the issues that we're dealing with. Uh, and so for me, it's every day is like, it's a fun challenge. Not that what they're going through is fun, but that it's a challenge as a professional and they appreciate, I guess, my positive outlook and my ability to like dive in. Yeah. Well, and and having the ability to be positive when things are not seemingly positive and trying to look for those even, you know, glimmers of hope in things is if we could all do a better job at that, we would be so much better off in general, you know? Well, it's funny you say that because when I was on the show and, and people would, I would get DMs about my affect when I was on, when I was on camera talking to these couples about very serious things, but I would be, almost be smiling through it. And some people were like, wow, that's really weird. You're talking about something really sad, but you're kind of smiling. I'm smiling because what I don't want them to do is think that I feel sorry for them because they're in such a terrible place and they're never going to get out. My, my affect is often a reflection of what I want people to feel, not so much what I'm feeling at the moment. Um, and that's just a tool that I use in therapy all the time where we're going to use humor. We're going to break the ice a little bit. We're going to deescalate. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm happy for them. It just means that like, hey guys, you're in a different place. Like you're literally in therapy. That's amazing. You're, you're like, you are not alone. You've sought out help. Congratulations. You know, snaps, right? Um, but it, it, a lot of it is also that I know if you can smile and, and we've psychologically and physically, there are studies that have shown that when you smile, it changes the way that your brain is experiencing something. So I'm a big fan of smiling. Uh, it's like Buddy the Elf. I love smiling. Smiling is my favorite. <laughs> yes. Well, and anybody that's listening, I'll tell you, I've heard the exact same thing. Dr. V, I'm a marathon runner. And it's one of the things that I've learned that when you're in the later half of the marathon, and believe me, if you've ever run with me, my friends will tell you what a grouch I am. But I have to remind myself to smile because the physical action of smiling will start doing things in your body mm -hmm. that I'm not going to recite medically, but <laughs> it does work. It may only be briefly in a marathon, but it does work. And That's I have amazing. practiced the same thing. So I love that you're using that and trying to, you know, subtly give that to people who are maybe feeling less than happy. Because um, ultimately, that's what people want. I mean, people want to be happy. Um, that's why they come see you. <laughs> yeah. They want hope. They want to feel like there's hope to their situation. Okay, that said, I have absolutely cried in sessions. I can feel, you know, empathy and I can feel their pain and I can feel their hurt, but it's not about me. <laughs> you don't go to therapy to have your therapist crying. <laughs> but I can also, on, a, on a, one hand, I can count over the past 20 years how many times that's happened. I mean, I'm human. It happens. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, some of the specific questions that I wanted to dive in, uh, because a lot of the people listening, we have a lot of type A type personalities, you know, hard-hitting, career-driven people, achievers um, that really 
want so much out of life. And what I have seen a lot is when people, um, you have two people like that, they get put together and there's so much focus on career. And then maybe you throw kids in or parent parental issues, aging parents, other things like that. Um, you know, the time and energy spent on the relationship itself can dwindle or feel like it's just so much extra. We have all these other things going on. So what are some of the top things that you recommend to real type A high achieving people uh, in couples so that they can work on having the best relationship and and maybe, (laughs) I hate to say this, but like in an efficient way, right? Where time is of a premium. What are small things that people can be doing and investing um, to make sure that they are they do put their relationship first and that they do, um, you know, really want to work on it and try to have, you know, they they're 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 a hundred percent in everything else of their life, right? And sometimes the relationship is suffering a little bit, but they want that. What can they do to get there? So you already said one of them, which is to actually you need to put your relationship first. I don't care how many kids you have, how many businesses you have, how many homes you have, how many dependents you have, all of that. It is so important to put your relationship first. You are stronger as a team. You can conquer more as a team. You can work through things better as a team. So it's so important to invest in your primary relationship more so than any other one. And that's a controversial thing that, you know, some people are like, oh, but what about kids? What about kids? Your kids are going to benefit from that whether it's, you know, uh, directly or indirectly, I can't tell you how many clients have experienced emotional and physical intimacy issues because they had no clue what healthy relationships looked like from their parents. They felt like their parents loved each other, but they never saw it. Or um, whatever they did see was unhealthy and they didn't have any representation. So if you put your relationship first and you invest in healthy intimacy with your, with your partner, your kids are going to benefit from it. I mean, there's just no, there's no substitute for that. They can see it on TV. They probably think it's fake. They can see it in an aunt and an uncle, but if they don't see it with you, because you're focused on being super mom or super dad, um, then they're, they're going to experience that as well. And it will trickle down. So that's one of them. The other thing is schedule time for intimacy. You have to schedule. If you live a busy life, it is not just going to be handed over to you. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients who say we only have fun, spontaneous intimacy when we're on vacation. And some people will spend thousands of dollars just to get away so that they can have intimate moments together because that's the only time it ever happens. That is a shame. It's um, not going to get you where you need to be ultimately. And uh, even if you can't afford to, it's probably something that your relationship will not withstand. So make sure you're scheduling that time. And if you don't like to schedule Maybe your partner does. Maybe they don't put it on your calendar. Maybe they just keep it on theirs. Or if you really do like to schedule what your partner doesn't, keep it on your calendar hidden from your partner. But get to a place where you know we are going to have this time and I know I can mentally and physically prepare. I'm not going to eat that salsa. I'm not going to take my sleeping meds or whatever it is that people do. Um, I'm going to plan for it. So there's that. And then the other thing is 
get sex on the brain, somehow get sex on the brain in a way that is appropriate for you and your morals and values. So I tend to recommend that people read erotic literature. There are so many different ways to consume erotica. It doesn't have to be visual porn. So erotic literature is a way for, you know, to be able to get that guidance and kind of not be totally flailing. But if you're able to get some sexy thoughts and fantasies of your own, that is, I, I want to say, one of the best relationship savers. If you allow sexy thoughts in, um, even if it's only 20 minutes every other night, you're reading, you're thinking, you're fantasizing, that will help keep your low desire from really getting to you. Um, and it'll keep your desire level at a better maybe level than if you don't. Well, and, and since you mentioned that, I will bring up, um, have you seen... Or talk to people about Lady Chatterley's Lover on Netflix. I haven't watched it. There hasn't been a lot there. I tend to get a lot more about that sex life yes, show. And, have you um, sex life? Oh, that's a good oh my one. gosh. Even worse, because I have three kids, is sometimes we watch, you know, like an Avenger type movie on Netflix and on the adult profile, and it's right there up in front of her. And my kids are like, what is this sex life show? And they're boys and they're starting to get interested. <laughs> so that brings up a whole nother. Yeah. But, it, it's not for you, sweetheart, but... Uh, but when you want to talk yeah, about it, let's point. be open about it. But yeah. I will tell you, Lady Chatterley's Lover was a book, you know, it's a, um, you know, 1800s. Yeah. It's based on, on a book yeah. that was actually mm-hmm. banned because of the sex scenes that were written in back then. So it was like the very... Oh, yeah, well, now I have to yes, read it. <laughs> I, I read it years ago, but they... The adaptation that just came out on Netflix, I guess like three or four months ago, it's not a lot of sex. It's a small amount of sex, but it's the buildup, the everything in there. When I started watching it, I was like, I knew my husband wasn't going to be into it, but 100%. It was like, oh boy. So ladies, if you don't want to watch or Mm -hmm. you're not a big reader, this could be a substitute for that to get sex on the brain because it was very sexy, very. So this is what's great about erotic, I guess, entertainment and this, the way that we're talking about it. It can be visual. It can be those books that we get at Walgreens, right? The romance novels. But what's great about it is the buildup. I can't tell you how many men have told me after I asked them to start incorporating erotica into their nightly routines with their wives for about 20 minutes, whenever possible. They said, I had no idea that foreplay could be so hot because they just, they hadn't experienced it. So now they're like, no wonder people, no wonder women are always talking about foreplay, like to be aroused and and mentally stimulated for that long before getting physically stimulated is like, it is the hottest thing ever. I'm like, you're welcome. And and we're <laughs> disadvantaged, I think. Um, I'm not the expert here, obviously, everybody. But I think we're women are disadvantaged because of what you're saying. Women are not thinking about sex as much. Whereas if men are thinking about it, maybe they've already built themselves up all day thinking about it. Whereas they women sure are have. like just getting ready for bed. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? I'm not ready for all this. That's exactly right. That is the discrepancy that I talk about um, a lot on TV and in my interviews. I will tell people we could learn something. And it, look, this isn't about every man and this isn't every woman. But in general, what I've noticed about men is that they're able to allow sexy thoughts in and process them out. 
And I think for women, what we don't do as well is we, we tend to like swat sexy thoughts away because the context isn't appropriate. So we're, you know, cooking a meal and it's like a sexy thought comes in or you, or you're watching something and you swat it away because you think, well, my kids are here. We're not talking about having sex. We're talking about having sexy thoughts. And I think for a lot of women, they think sexy thoughts is a, and sex sexual behavior is Z. You don't have to go from A to Z every time you have A. You can go from A to B back to A. You can stay in A. You can go A to Z. But that's where I think we mess up as we start thinking about sexy thoughts as the beginning of a sexual experience. And I don't think men do. I think men allow sexy thoughts just to sit and then they, they go away. They process them or they go away. And so if I do think if we could learn anything from men. I'm sure we could learn a lot of things from men and, and they from us, but it's that you can, you can and should entertain sexy thoughts and it doesn't mean you're, you're doing anything inappropriate. Wow. Well, I think that is our takeaway. Number one for today is that if we can all spend some time thinking and allowing the natural occurrence about a sexy thought or maybe even intentionally having a sexy thought about our uh, mate um, in passing, that that could be a building block that we could start with um, and work on that. I think that, you know, I had not thought about that. Um, and I, I just try to be really intentional in my relationship all around. And I think that I can always improve on things. So that I think is going to be a takeaway for me is just to see if you can kind of shift the brain very subtly to allow that um, to build and, and, and not shy away from that. And, and here's the thing, like if, if you are feeling shame or guilt or any sort of negativity creeping up when you think about putting your sex life as a priority, maybe not top two, right? Um, there's lots going on in life. And so top two at all times is probably not realistic, but like top five, I think uh, is more realistic. And I think it allows for you to be a very well-rounded partner and a well-rounded human uh, because, you know, sexuality exists whether you're in a partnership or not. And if you can do that, I think overall your experience of a well-rounded life will be enhanced. Yes. And that that's, again, ultimately what we're all looking for, no doubt. So when it comes to very kind of like specific idea-driven um, what do you see that parents with young kids that are having more intimacy versus not? Is there any trends? Is there anything that you see that differentiates or how can um, people that may be in that season of life make more effort um, to to grow? Because I'm sure you know that's... Um, probably the one of the more difficult times 
it's definitely one of the more difficult times in anyone's life. Um, and a lot of divorces that tend to happen within the first few years of having a child. So yes, there's, there's a lot of that. Um, but the couples that are succeeding at making sure that their intimate connection remains after having a kid is that they, they work as a team. They work as a team to allow the priority of the relationship, the prioritization of the relationship to occur on a weekly basis. So they're the ones who are saying, hey, let's plan date night. Hey, will you put the kids to bed while I go shower? Hey, I mean, they're like, they're doing this whole tag team and dividing and conquering uh, all the time or as much as possible. And they're not, uh, they're not overloaded one way or the other. They tend to more evenly distribute the chores and tasks so that they can prioritize their sex life. The other thing that I think healthier couples are doing with kids, um, healthier couples with kids are doing is I think that they are making sure that they are giving each other enough time alone to decompress from the day. So whether that's a 20 minute walk outside, whether that is that you know, 20 minute bath while you get the kids this day, or maybe you're going out with friends one night. It's, it's to be able to feel like you're an individual and to tap into your individuality, I think is a gift. Well, I think it's a right, but it's also a gift within a relationship that your partner can either promote or really hinder. Mm. And when they promote it, it is just a game changer for the way that you experience your partnership. And then you want to connect with somebody who respects you, who honors you, who is promoting your ability to feel good about yourself and to do things that make you feel better, whether it's self-care or fitness or social life, whatever it is. Um, and those, those are what, that's what those couples are doing. They're really honoring the individual, but they're also working as a team whenever possible. Wow. Guys, I'm taking a lot of notes here. So uh, I'm going to share this back <laughs> out and you should definitely save this and listen to it over and over. S send it to your partner. I mean, these are just such good pieces of advice um, and things that I definitely strive to do, whether it's, you know, allowing somebody to go to the gym, go going to the sauna. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband, he does the morning time with the kids. Uh, my kids have to be at school early. He does all of that. And I usually work out a little bit later because I need more sleep. Um, but that is just, you know, really good advice, just supporting each other. I mean, and I think that's, you know, you started by saying working as a team and supporting each other, prioritizing each other. And then again, you're supporting each other by allowing you, you know, each to do things. And I, I experienced that when COVID happened and everybody's home and my kids were home, um, you know, that was a little harder. There was not the decompression stage of commuting 20 minutes home. Um, and I had to get even more intentional about how I could let my own stress fall away and not let it impact how I behaved with the kids or with my husband. That was... I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure there was a lot of outfall in your, your, your patience, but gosh, that was a very difficult time. It was a really difficult time for the couples who were living life a little too individually, um, where they were not 
they they were dividing and conquering, but always mm. dividing and conquering. Then they all of a sudden are in each other's space and they're thinking, wait a minute, I can now have expectations that you help, but then they don't know how to do that. And they thought, well, now that we're together, we should be doing everything together. Now that you're not at, at work or away for school or whatever, now you can help with all of these things. But it wasn't a discussion that people had. They just assumed that their partnership would just adjust to, to what was going on right in front of them. And I think a lot of couples really struggled because what had been working for them, they thought they could not adapt that to what was going on because now we're together. We should do everything together and we should split everything, you know, half and half, um, because you are physically able to help. Well, that, that was a whole nightmare for so many couples. And then other couples were like, you know what? I really like you. <laughs> I really like talking to you. I like being around you. Um, I like the way, I like how things are when we're actually able to be around each other more. So a lot of couples did really well. Actually, I would say the majority of the couples that I was working with uh, at the time, they were doing really well. They were actually enjoying each other. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it, it, it's hard to, uh, we, my husband and I were just talking about that the other day that, you know, we spend so much time with our kids and sometimes <laughs> for ourselves, that's where we've got to, we've got to say like, guys, go watch a movie on your own. Let us do something separately. Cause we're sitting mm -hmm. there. I mean, we spend and we love it. That's what we do enjoy doing, but sometimes, you know, it's a lot. We're, when I look around how other people have their houses situated and even what my parents did with me and my husband's parents did with him, I feel like we spend more time with our kids um, after work than a lot of people. And we've been talking about putting a little bit different boundaries on that. Um, so mm -hmm. that... I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm, yeah. I just don't want to forget. Earlier, you asked me like what couples were doing um, who had kids and what they were doing well. And that was going to be one of them that I forgot to mention is that they set boundaries around their beds, around their bedrooms, around their bathrooms and around their time. So they will have adult time, designated adult time, or you must knock before you enter this room. Um, some think it's terrible to put locks on their bedroom doors. That is absolutely a falsehood. Having boundaries for your private space is something that you want to teach your children to have. They should not feel like there is nowhere in their house that there's privacy, right? Like they, they need to experience that autonomy over their bodies, especially when they're learning about consent and what's healthy and what isn't. So I think it's a great thing to have, uh, to say you cannot just walk into our bathroom it's so funny there are, there's all these you know gifs and stuff out there uh where people are talking about how their kids are just like in the in the bathroom while they're using it and i can understand a toddler right that happens but that can quickly turn into a five six seven eight year old and a nine-year-old who are much more conscious of what they're seeing walking in on things that maybe they shouldn't be walking in on yeah <laughs> yep that's, uh, and you know, <laughs> we're all adults here. So that's, you know, I have three boys and that's one of the things I had to really realize with, um, you know, lady time of the month is, you know, we, even if they could, yep. um, 
mentally understand, do they really understand what's going on? And that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with kids under the age of 10, especially boys. Um, And so that's when I really woke up to the, okay, we need some more boundaries here. Um, (laughs) Because I'm I'm pretty good at boundaries, um, probably less so with some of that. you know, the kids are always taking a bath in my bathroom. And um, I, and if I build another house, I'm like, we're going to have a jacuzzi tub in y'all's bathroom because they really like to take leisurely baths. <laughs> I'm like, you guys got to get out of my bathroom. I, know, I, need, I need my space <laughs> back. Okay, guys. Yes, yes, yes. Especially because I'm the only girl here. So I'm like, there's things that I'm doing or whatever. Um, I had the question the other day about thong underwear yeah. and like, what are those? <laughs> like, well, if you keep walking in, you're going to yeah. find out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but that those are that that's such important information. Um, so I wanted to move into uh, a top question that I had when I pulled some people about you coming on, and um, I have a feeling of what you might say, but I'm going to ask anyway. People always want to know how much sex is normal. And I elongated that word because, you know, it's quote unquote normal. Quote unquote. Like, what is the normal? <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's interesting. I, I do talk about this in my book, The Four Intimacy Styles. Um, and I think that the main reason I always want to know as a therapist, I always want to know why something is important to someone. The why is so much more important than the what. And so what I hear when someone says, how much sex is normal? How many times should we be having sex again, quote unquote, having sex. And typically that means penetrative sex or intercourse. And what they're, what I hear them really asking is, are we okay? Are we messing up? Mm. Are we on track? Are we, are we okay? And, and I would have to say from a, from a very like, high level view, everybody has to determine that for themselves. But from like a practical sex therapist place, I recommend around two sexual experiences per week, uh, whenever possible, because, and not, not either, or either can be, but it doesn't have to include intercourse. If you want to try oral or anal or digital or toys or a shower or massage, all of that counts. So it's not just, it doesn't have to look one way, but I do think two sexual experiences per week or sensual experiences per week is going to keep you on track. Um, everybody's different. Some people are like two, that's nothing. And other people are like two. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm like, if you know, it's twice a month, whatever they're, they're thinking and everybody's different, but I would say if you can have a variety and try to engage in two sexual experiences per week, you'll probably be okay. That is helpful. <laughs> I know that after a few cocktails, I, I'm been, I've been known to ask my friends because I'm just always curious myself. You know, you just uh, are, are, you're are what you're doing in line. You're comparing, yes. right? You're comparing <laughs> to see like, am I am I yeah. normal? Am I okay? Like, are we are we doing or? Or if it's drastically more, you're like, how do you manage that, right? Um, and but ultimately, it wouldn't matter if they said eight times or if they said one time. You're gonna do what works for you and your partner. You just are. So don't stress about it. 
as long as you're happy and healthy and everybody is satisfied. Right. Well, and here's the other thing. And a lot of women, um, and this is a whole other conversation, so I'll just dip in and dip right out, but maybe it'll be a teaser and we can do this again sometime. (laughs) But I think a lot of women who are partnered with men are a little bit nervous or threatened by masturbation, their, their partner, their male partner masturbation. And the reason is that they think, well, gosh, you know, if, if they're relying too heavily on masturbation, then they won't be, they won't want to be with me, or maybe they'll think I'm not holding up my end of the bargain or whatever. But I, I tell them, you know, studies have shown that the AMA, the American Medical Association, has recommended three to four ejaculations per week. So, and that's for their prostate health. So if you don't want to be a part of every single ejaculation experience, you need to be okay with them taking care of their own physical health through masturbation. So <laughs> if that's what you're signing up for and you're like, no, I need to be there for every single one, just, just know you need to open up some time in your schedule because it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and then, you know, health is wealth. So if it's, you know, needed for prostate health, we cannot, I mean, so for the men listening, if you need to use that as a a founding, uh, you know, a foundational reason of why you need to do something. I mean, I personally think it's just part of nature. Um, I've never had an issue with that, but I think it is fascinating that it does also it's not just like a want it is a physical health mechanism a need to be at a certain level and i do think that women we don't we don't take care of our pelvic floor enough and orgasms can do that so um i'm fortunately Mm. i'm a a partner with uh i'm the resident intimacy expert for bloomy and bloomy is a uh sensual and sexual it's a care line and we have all sorts of products and everything and all we do is talk about how your physiological health can be impacting your intimacy and i feel like it's just important for everyone to know that and especially women that orgasms are so good for you uh, in so many different ways and making sure that you are taking care of your intimate skin it is really important as well, especially for women, both internally and externally. And there's so many different things, so many different ways that we can go. But in other words, self-care includes self-touch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of leads into the next interesting question that I had is whether or not you could share um, maybe a fun and interesting story that you've heard before um, that, you know, maybe, you know, an interesting sexual story, like something that may not be, you know, what the average person is thinking of. Well, um, that may open people up to a new experience. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, gives me some guidance because I'm like, I hear so many things, but I don't even, <laughs> I don't know that they're, they're probably interesting to y'all, but not so much interesting to me just because I've been doing this for so long. But I would say, yeah. um, I always think it's great to hear when a couple wants to try something new for the first time, especially after they've been together for a while, like they're trying to spice things up, so to say. And so that's when they will, um, for instance, something that is pretty common within my field, but maybe isn't 
as common for people to talk about is that a lot of people are enjoying anal play, whether it's with toys or strap-ons or fingers, now more than ever. And I think that it's a really, it's something that a lot of people have not talked about for the longest time, especially heterosexual couples, but they're really trying to enjoy all the different parts and points of pleasure of their bodies. And that that's something that I'm really happy to hear because uh, there are certainly safe ways, fun ways, exciting ways. It's a taboo thing, so it can get people really turned on because it kind of seems naughty and different. Um, and especially when you're going to be with somebody for a super long time and you're struggling to find ways to keep things spicy, why not in, in a very safe and consensual way, explore different body parts. So uh, I really like that. I like that people, when people tell me, oh, we tried this and it's both men and women, um, you know, uh, women on men and men trying it with women. And uh, it's just an interesting thing to do because it does take a lot of vulnerability and trust and a lot of preparation. And I just love when all of those things come together and people can experience pleasure. So that is a really good segue into uh, another question is what if one partner is into something more interesting, I'll say as that kind of word, that the other partner is not really interested in? How do you bridge the gap and communicate on that to where both people are happy with how things are going? So this is actually something that comes up quite a bit for, for me as a certified sex therapist is I will have couples come in specifically to discuss wanting to try different things that maybe one person isn't on board with. Um, not because the goal is to convince them of anything, but it's to help them to understand the why behind it. Again, I'm all about the why. So if somebody says, I'd like to try this, I would recommend that their partner ask them why, uh, what's important about it, what, what do they experience as a result of it? Why do they find that it's interesting? What do they think they'll get out of it? And that helps the other person feel a little bit more motivated to be interested in it. But just because you share that you want to do something, that does not mean that your partner owes you to try it. This is the beginning of a conversation. Anytime you're talking about doing anything that uh, with your body and is vulnerable and is an expression of feelings, I think it's important to have multiple conversations about it, especially if you've never tried it before. But I have always found that when people start talking about these things, especially in a safe space like therapy, that they ultimately find that they land somewhere where both of them are comfortable. It doesn't have to be all one way or the other. You can find an alternative, which is something that we're really good at doing as sex therapists, is you can find an alternative that maybe has a similar impact or, if, or effect, but doesn't have that, uh, maybe it's not all one way or the other. Yeah, no, that's that's great because there is hope, you know, and I think that's probably what people are feeling when they get stuck in this middle ground is that there isn't any hope. If you want to do this and I don't want to do that, then where do we go from there? And is this going to build up resentment and animosity yep, um, exactly. and break down the relationship? But if there's, you know, that there's hope to find ways and talk about things to, to get to somewhere, you know, where everybody Can I give is an excited. example? Yeah. So something that I've been um, doing in the past year or two is there have been couples who have talked about possibly, or maybe one partner says that they're 
interested in bringing in a third party into the bedroom just for an experience. It doesn't have to be for polyamory or for a long-term relationship or anything like that, but where they just want to try and see what a threesome might look like, a menage a trois, so to say. And one person is like, no. Or they both are like, we're interested, but what if? Oh no. Okay. So one of the alternatives that I've offered that has gone really well um, for them to try that is a, a lot safer, both emotionally and physically, is that I will recommend that they go to a boudoir photo shoot together. And especially the one that I tend to uh, refer people to, it's for 44 boudoir. It's the number four and then 40 spelled out in the number four again. She's wonderful. She's in the Houston area. So yay. Um, but she's so good about what, what I like about it is that her gaze, which is the camera, G-A-Z-E, the camera can feel like it's a third party, even though you're not doing anything sexual, so to say, and obviously you have to go look at her pictures and you'll see they're hot. Yeah. <laughs> they're really hot, but you're not doing anything like lewd or anything like that. But yeah, but what's great about that is that you get the, the sense of what it would be like to have a third party in the room in mm. a very appropriate way and a non-threatening way <laughs> to your relationship, or you can get behind the camera and see what it's like to see your partner looking at these, you know, in these positions and things like that, almost like an outsider. So you're really catching on to how your imagination can change something as mundane as taking a picture into something that is a little bit more flirty, even more naughty, exciting. Um, but that's just an example of something that pe that I've recommended and people come back and they're like, oh my gosh, now we're looking at our photos and wow, we're hot. And yeah, if somebody were to, you know, we don't need anybody to see this because now we've seen what it's like. And no, but that's, that's just one way. Of course, other people will be like, no, 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 we definitely want to have a third. And then totally go to a sex therapist to talk about it before you do it. This is not something you just stumble upon. <laughs> Yeah, especially in a long-term relationship where there's, you know, a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. um, you want to think about what the bigger impact is going to be for everybody involved. So the last question that I kind of had in the broader sense that um, somebody submitted um, anonymously was, why does it feel like kissing kind of fades or takes a backseat as the relationship grows for a lot of people. It's a shame because you're absolutely right. And that's what everybody reports is that kissing is something that or making out, right? Because uh, lots mm -hmm. of people peck. And we talk about that a lot in my office and in my book and in my online program, the Dr. Viviana Method for Intimate Reconnection. I think it's very important. Everyone should be kissing every day for three seconds, at least once. Okay. Because this whole peck thing, you can do that to the dog. Most people do it to the dog. <laughs> Sometimes they do it to their family, to their parents, their kids. Um, it's not special. It's just not. A peck is not special. Do a three second kiss. You won't be late to work. It'll show that you care. And um, that's, that's at the very minimum, right? I think that making out is something that if you can make out for like five minutes before you go into the restaurant next time, you're in the car and you make out for five minutes, you're going to leave an impact on your partner. You're going to, they're only going to be smiling at each other across the table. But the key is to do the making out or the like tongue kissing or Frenching or even neck necking, right? We used to call it necking, kissing. Um, 
that, but it has to have a limit. So, because if not, it will likely end up feeling pressure to move on to intercourse. Right. And, and I'm talking about kissing for the sake of kissing. So have a limit to where you're like, well, we have to leave by this point, or I have to go to work, or we have to go into the movie or whatever it is, um, have that. But I think you're right. A lot of people are missing out on the benefits and the excitement that comes from kissing and only kissing and not moving, not having it always turn into something more like intercourse or any sort of, you know, play. Wow. We have so much information (laughs) to take away from this to help us move forward in our relationships make the most of it, you know, be at that A plus level, which I know is what most people want to be at. Um, At least, you know, most of the people tuning in are, you know, growth oriented, uh, want the best out of life, want to maximize what life has to offer. Um, And I think we have, I have a page full of notes um, of what we talked about, which are just really practical, solid things that we can be doing to move things forward. So the last question that I would ask you um, so we can wrap it up is, what do you think is the biggest issue facing modern couples? The biggest issue that I see facing modern couples is that they are sacrificing their intimate connections to be able to be productive and efficient in the rest of their lives. And I, I truly believe that our intimate connections can strengthen our ability to be more productive and be more efficient. And if you can continue to prioritize your relationships, your primary relationships and your intimate connections, you will experience pleasure in all forms so much more so much so much stronger, so much deeper and for the long term. Wow. That is something we all have to remember. We all have goals. We all have dreams. We all have things that we want to achieve as a person, as an individual. And we can do more, be more, be on a team together, achieve more, go further, go faster. When we commit to being intentional, spending time together, spending time intimately, and that should be the reason alone you know, reason enough to do it, if not for all the other factors that come with it, like your happiness and your, you know, uh, longevity and everything else. So that that is really great. Uh, Dr. Viviana, thank you so, so much um, for all of this time that you shared with us today. I mean, we just really have so much to take away from this. It has been invaluable. So is there anything we should look for from you soon? Any new projects, any new interesting things coming out with <laughs> yes, you? Yes, always. I'm so fortunate. I I have so many ideas when it comes to helping people with love issues, with dating issues, with relationship issues, all of that. And, and I have a lot on the horizon this year. Um, there are things that I can't talk about just yet. And then some of the things that I can talk about are that my book, The Four Intimacy Styles, is available on my website, drviviana.com. You can get lots of free information on my website as well as on my social media channels, which are all at Dr. Viviana, spell out Dr. Viviana. And then um, my online program, The Dr. Viviana Method for Intimate Reconnection is available for couples who really need a reset, who need to either uh, reconnect intimately due to having never had that connection or who want to get that back and just have not been able to do that. Maybe they're even ready to call it quits because they don't have that intimate connection. Try this first. 
um, and, and head over to drviviana.com to check all of those things out. But if you're on my newsletter, you are like, you get all of the new information and all of the updates first, all my announcements happen there first. And again, you can sign up for that by subscribing at drviviana.com. Amazing. Well, everybody, I would run and do that right now because seriously, she's filled of so much guidance and information. She's honing and working on everything um, that she does on a daily and weekly basis because she is continuing to practice and to evolve and grow along with her client base and all the other business that she does, including on her work on TV. So check it out. Thank you again, Dr. V. For everyone else, I hope this brings you a lot of guidance, a lot of ideas on how to improve and keep things going because it is really a point, an important part of our life and our success and our happiness level. And so we really need to make sure that we're not focusing totally on our own lives and our own career, that we let go of our relationships and we need to make a priority on that. So... We will keep bringing you all these amazing guests and all this amazing wisdom and guidance so that you can keep getting clear on what matters most. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.